Good morning. As you probably have noted, there is no one at the piano. Trail and Robert stayed out too late watching that ball game. That's where they are. No, if you look in your bulletin, and we'll sing in a moment, but uh, today is Robert's birthday, and they they're all in Brevard at their son's church celebrating birthdays but I'm glad you're here I'm glad you got a good night's sleep <laughs> however if somewhere during the service you were to doze off <laughs> the ushers have not been instructed to come tap you on the shoulder <laughs> as pastor Jim Stokes who served the Seneca Baptist Church for 30-something years said, and I heard him make this comment one day, that children in the worship service did not disturb him. That if a child began to cry in the service, he said, I'd much rather hear a crying baby than a snoring deacon. <laughs> so that's a pretty good way to look at it. But I'm glad we're here. It's good to see you. So, announcements. Notice in the bulletin, several upcoming events. One, a baby shower next Sunday afternoon. And uh, Francis, if I may direct this to you, in the bulletin announcement, it said something about to call you if they're coming. So if you're going to stay after the service next Sunday morning for Teresa and Danny Cummins' baby shower, Teresa, by the way, is one of the preschool teachers downstairs during the week. But if you're going to stay with us, they need to let you know that you let them know that you're going to be here. So just speak to Francis and let her know she yes. is the church angel and uh, whatever they got planned. I know all she's got to do is just touch it, and uh, it just will turn out wonderfully well. Yes, hello there. Where'd you come from? <laughs> what are you doing with that that pinks? shirt on today. It's not pink, it's orange. Is that what it is? <laughs> no, Francis, I was just going to make an addition to that yeah, announcement. Okay, she needs to know by Thursday okay. who is going to go to that um, shower, okay? Right. So she'll know how much food to buy, okay? okay thank you. Right. Appreciate that. That's important that we know how much and how many. So please let her know by Thursday. At the service this evening, we will vote on the Sunday School leadership for the next year. Good News Club is about to get kicked off for the school term and if you are, have an interest in it and have available time, uh, speak to Helen sometime today and just let her know that you are interested in it and if your schedule is possible you'll help her with that and those others will be working with her. And certainly, if no other way, you and I can be involved in praying for the results of the release time has proven to be most, most successful as boys and girls have come to know Jesus Christ 
as their personal savior due to that activity. Thank you, Helen. You heard her additional comments. Now, let me share a thought with you, and we need some response, not this morning by any means, but questions have been asked lately, and one who is very interested in such is our friend Clara. What are we going to do with the soup kitchen? Now, we put up the notice on the entrance to the building that for the months of June, July, and August, the soup kitchen will be closed questions now are rising what are we going to do with it that's up to you what do we want to do with it and simply if we want to try to continue exploring the possibility of reopening it there is a meeting in uh, I believe it's in Anderson in about a week or ten days and we would have to have some representatives could even be just one person who has an interest in that project someone would need to go to get all the information and bring it back to us and then we'll take the second step toward reopening it if that's the direction that God leads us in. So think about it if you, and we'll get the exact date, uh, Lisa was trying the latter part of this past week to find out details about that meeting and uh, if you could just go, I think it's about an hour, maybe an hour and a half at the meeting, go and get the information, bring it back to us and that will certainly be a tremendous help in deciding uh, what we are going to attempt to do. Uh, so maybe some of you would have, could get in the car together or even just one person could go down there and find out. And we do want to be honoring God with this ministry, but yet we have to be very practical with it. So we want to find out, get some information there. If you're with us this morning as our guest, we're delighted that you are here. And I just pray for our regular folks. Thank you for coming. And then for those who are maybe having an extended uh, trip or last minute vacation jaunt or whatever you want to call it, uh, let's pray that they'll have safety, get back home, and then next Sunday we'll all be here. I'd rather be here than anywhere else I knew on Sunday morning, Sunday night. Wednesday night how about any time night and sometimes in the daytime so let's just begin now as we talk to the Lord and then our ladies will come and lead us in singing and yes all right okay okay any announcements up here okay. um I just have a couple of things. <clears throat> uh, next Sunday, September 8th, will be the kickoff for our uh, season of prayer for state missions <clears throat> and our Janie Chapman offering. And this year, our theme is going all out for state missions. Our church goal is $1,500. Uh, 
I am here today. Unfortunately, I probably won't be here next Sunday, but I will have all the material out. I will have the little pink envelopes in the pews that you can put your offering in, or you can just mark it and put it in your regular envelope or drop it in the plate, however you want to do it. Just mark it, Janie Chapman. Um, <clears throat> also, we will have this little prayer guide. I, I don't know if Lisa will be able to get it in the bulletin. If not, she will have it um, out with the bulletin so you can pick one up that there is a different missionary here in South Carolina that you can pray for each day of that week. And I, I hope you will pray for each one of them uh, each day. Um, when we think of missions, we so often think of foreign missions. We think of or, or further off in our country or Canada or Mexico or somewhere, uh, Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon. But, but we, as we try to do, we try to begin here in Liberty and then we also need to reach out over our state, over South Carolina. Uh, there will also be a family missions page out in the vestibule available. I hope that you will take one and uh, use it with your family, or if it's just you, just use it yourself. <clears throat> the scripture for the 2013 season of prayer for state missions is, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace, Acts 20, 24. Um, this missions page gives you a lot of information uh, for the eight that tells you uh, a little bit about Janie Chapman. You may know uh, some or a lot about Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon, but most of you probably don't know much about Janie Chapman. I know I didn't when I started in this, so this gives you a lot of information about her. And then uh, each day you have a, <clears throat> a different mission outpost to pray for. On Monday, uh, pray for multi-housing ministries. 96%, the largest concentration of lostness in our state is found in multi-housing. And that means anything larger than duplex. Uh, condominiums, apartments, that kind of thing. So uh, be praying for that mission. And then the next day uh, for our sports ministry. And uh, you know, we have a lot of that around the state. There are, uh, people have started churches and missions for, for horse people. And here's one for fishing uh, people at Lake Murray. So pray for that ministry. And then on Wednesday, a very, very important ministry uh, is our ministry on our college and university campuses. I think this is vital because so many times we either have young people come to uh, college and they have never been in church, have never heard anything about the Bible or the Lord, or either they have been in church and they get away from home and they kind of lose their way. So it's very important that we have missionaries there to help them. And then on Thursday, uh, we have partnerships with Delhi, India, and North India, where there are the greatest number of unreached people groups in the world. So let's pray for South Carolina volunteers who are going to mission trips to Delhi this year, or Delhi, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. But. And then on Friday, the mission outpost is for our fire departments, a very vital part of our uh, community. So let's pray for them. On Sunday, I mean, excuse me, on Saturday, again, uh, those who live in multi-housing ministries, multi-housing uh, complexes. And then on Sunday, let's complete the task by giving. Prayer is important, very important, but we need to help in a concrete way. And if we can't go ourselves, then we can, 
we can make some donations to help them. Um, I think that covers the season of prayer. Uh, I also will have rice bowls out because I want to do rice bowls the month of September. I, I did not find out the exact date, but World Hunger Day is usually sometime in October, and I would like for you to take out, take home a rice bowl and uh, put your spare change in it or your folding money or your checks, and then I will announce the, the Sunday to turn it in. And every penny of that goes for hungry people. And also, uh, in connection with this, uh, our kids, our Wednesday night kids, uh, are having a food drive. I've asked them if they will try to bring in um, a can of food or a box of cereal, um, some non-perishable item every week. And uh, for every item they bring in, they're going to get a Bible book. And also, if they... Uh, stick to the task and everybody uh, participates, Mr. Doug is going to give them a Sunday, an ice cream Sunday party. And I would just like to ask the rest of the church to please pitch in and help. And if you want to donate a food item and if you want to designate it for a child uh, that you know and love in this church, then that will be great and then they'll get uh, a Bible book credit for that. So thank you so much. Just be much in prayer about giving and uh, praying for these missionaries and these uh, different uh, mission opportunities. Thank you. Real quickly, the youth will be going out to dinner tonight after our evening worship, so we'll be going to Los Amigos and easily, so youth plan on meeting at the front of the church after evening worship, and we'll go. Um, also, I mentioned with you over the summer about FCA, and our church graciously agreed to sponsor the FCA. Well, it is that time. Uh, Ms. Powell and I will be starting on Friday morning leading our FCA at Liberty High. Um, however, given um, the uh, standards now that have been set for us, uh, like I said, Ms. Powell and I will not be allowed at any point in time to lead in prayer, or read from the Bible, or lead anything. So if at any time you feel led to come and share your testimony, um, a piece of scripture, something with these guys, we are always looking for people to be there on Friday mornings to share with them. Just 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, we'll be meeting from 7.15 until 7.45, right before the bell rings. Um, and we'll have music, prayer, some sort of little devotional. Um, so if you feel led, please, please, please let me know. Um, also, one of our biggest needs is we need to feed these teenagers when they get there at 7.15 in the morning. Until we get started and we get a definite number and we can start coming here some, we're just looking for individually wrapped items uh, such as Pop-Tarts, muffins, honey buns, that kind of thing. So if you would like to donate any of those, please see me this morning. Um, and, and we're looking for the first couple of weeks just to feed them just a small individual wrapped breakfast item. Um, but we would love to get as many donations as we can uh, just because right now with it being a new program, um, Miss Powell and I have absolutely zero money to get started with. So if you're willing to donate any of those items this week or next uh, to help us get started, just see me after service. Okay. Thank you so very much. That's what we call the Ministry of Announcements because it's always a necessity and an important part of our getting together, not necessarily what you might say, well, that's not a part of the worship time. But it's a part of getting together as a family of God and the church, trying to keep our eyes focused as well as to look out and find opportunities for us to minister to other people. And folks, that's why you and I are saved. Shall we go to heaven? Absolutely. 
But what are we supposed to be doing while we're waiting for that departure? Serving, ministering to others. So having said that, come on, girls. It's good to be here today. Woo, goodness gracious. <laughs> um, I have missed being here and uh, am really glad to be back with you all today. Um, let's stand and sing, Come Now is the Time to Worship.
Amen. Now, if you all would turn and greet your neighbor. we make our way back to the seats let's have prayer for our tithes and offerings dear heavenly father we come to you today we thank you for a wonderful day in church dear lord we ask you to be with the ones that's on vacation that's traveling and let them have a safe travel dear lord we thank you for everything you've done for us we thank you for sending your son jesus christ and die for our sins we ask you to bless our tithes and offerings that we're about to receive for in our precious name we pray amen good morning it's good to be back. Some of you know us, some of you don't. Those of you who don't know us, it's probably best. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They're pretty good girls. Um, actually, they, they, can do the, they can do this by themselves, but they wanted somebody up here to be pretty. Oh, my gosh. Y'all know that's so, a lie, right? <laughs> and, so, and so I put my pink shirt on, and, uh, and so we're here. But it's good, it's good to be here. Uh, we're going to sing a song. I don't know if you guys have done it lately or... I'm sure you remember it. It's called, As the Deer Panteth for the Water. And that's the way we're supposed to be after God's Word. And as the pastor mentioned a few minutes ago, we're supposed to be serving. And the only way we can do that is to willingly be searching for Him and, and doing what He says. So let's sing. As the 
so my soul longeth after Thee. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship Thee. You alone are my strength, my shield. To You alone may my spirit and I long to worship Thee. You're my friend and You are my brother even though You are my King. I love You more than any other, so much more than singing um, Blessed Assurance, and we'll sing all of those verses. And as you can tell, we don't have a pianist this morning, but we have a, a CD track that plays the piano for us, so it'll be something a little bit different. But let's stand up and sing our hearts out.
I tell you, the Lord just uh, sometimes intervenes in ways that we don't understand. But now I know that was beautiful. <laughs> it was beautiful. Well, we're going to continue singing a song, a very familiar song. Uh, we'll try to play it, but if it won't play, we'll just keep singing. It's Amazing Grace. And we'll sing the first, second, third, and the fifth stanzas. <clears throat> Crocker's not here. Amber's not here this morning, but Mr. Lamar Porter is, and today's his birthday. So we want to sing a little happy birthday to him. And we'll just have to do it on your phone. Huh? Come on, Lamar. He's hiding. He's afraid we're going to give him birthday spankings. That's what he's afraid of, I think. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, we'll sing anyway, and uh, uh, if you think about it this week, just drop these, uh, drop these birthday honorees a card or a telephone call. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. And I 
was noticing Joe Hunter's is the sixth, so we'll keep him in our prayers too as well. All right? Well, we're going to have Andy and the girls come back up and sing another song for us. You know, we finished that last song as the deer speaking of we long to worship the Lord you know what's going on in heaven right now all the creatures all the angels and all the saints are worshiping the Lord Amen. and so what's going on here this morning is the same thing that's happening in heaven Amen. but it should be happening every day of our lives right. you know the world gets in the way we know that uh, but we have some things we need to do that doesn't mean we can't do it worshipfully and, and pleasing to God and so that's what we should be striving to do. And that's what we're going to sing now. It's a revelation song. And it speaks of just what I've just been talking about.
absolutely beautiful song and and I tell you it has a powerful message in it and thank y'all thank y'all for singing that um, at this time the children are dismissed to children's church
and in company. <clears throat> that was absolutely amazing, wonderful. Thank you for being here. Nita, I know you're proud. And I just have a feeling that uh, someone up there knew that today they were serving the Lord here in this place. See, when you get to heaven, you don't just dismiss all abilities of remembering and worshiping, serving. I drew one conclusion, though, as they were singing that uh, Andy is the, the father, but uh, I've got a feeling those two beautiful ladies that live as his daughters have controlled him for many, many years. <laughs> it is, see, I see. It is sad. My wife, Marilyn, was invited several times to lead a conference at Ridgecrest on the topic of the mother of a prodigal son. And she remembers very distinctly that at one time when she was dismissing the group, she talked about praying for prodigal sons, and this lady came up to her afterwards and said, Yes, we need to continue praying for prodigal sons, but don't forget their prodigal daughters. And she shared with Marilyn of how a daughter of hers had drifted off into the far country. I was somewhat undecided. The Lord never did put on my heart as I worked through this past week as to what I was going to share with you this morning and then when Chris arrived at the house Friday night and we were talking I thought that's it you've been praying for our son Chris a prodigal in the fullest definition of the term spent 10 years on St. Todman's Island because he got in trouble with the law and the only thing he needed to do was to run but you see in that running he could not run God and one day God got a hold of him. When he was out there on that dinghy in the Atlantic Ocean for the third day, he got his heart right with the Lord. He's been working now for several summers at uh, Caswell Beach, which is the North Carolina youth camp. And he is a college student. Uh, we, we kid him about waiting until he's almost 55 before he'll get his degrees, you know, but that's all right. He's learning. He's learned how to learn, and that's important. So I want him to come and just kind of tell you some of the things that God did for him and with him this past summer, and uh, just listen because it may be that through Chris this morning, God may speak to some of your hearts. You may be dealing with an issue in your family. But always remember, God is just as close to us when we are carrying those burdens as he is when the sun shines and all goes well. So Chris, come and speak to us, son. Thank you. Well, good morning. Let me correct my dad. Since I stood before you in January, I am a college graduate. Amen. <laughs> It only took me two terms, Bush and Obama, but I made it. <laughs> and now I am in the seminary, so now I'm in graduate studies. Indeed, it is an honor. I told Dad, I said, Daddy, today is Labor Day. I said, why are you making me labor on Labor Day? He said, well, son, it's a labor of love. I love you, so therefore go and labor. <laughs> so I'm here. 
If you'll turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, I do want to share with you that I've had the privilege the last two summers, I've been home for eight summers, seven and a half years, but the last out of six summers at Caswell, I've had the honor and privilege to also spend one to two days a week each week driving from Caswell outside of Wilmington to Columbia uh, to White Oak, which is our Baptist youth camp owned by the uh, South Carolina Baptist Convention. I want to share with you some personal testimonies through some students that I have seen God work and do some amazing things. One student I will refer to was from 07, my first summer there, till reconnecting with her this summer. I want to share another character uh, from the South Carolina camp that I met. And then I want to share as I study with Christian counseling and biblical counseling, a fellow just this week sitting at the hospital at 2 o'clock in the morning trying to get him in detox where his arms are all shot up with heroin. And I never did a needle, but I was hooked on drugs. God takes our past and our past and our message or our mess of our past and he gets his message. Amazing how God equips us based on the choices that we've taken. Romans 8.28 is a verse I hope I never get over because it says, For those who believe something good will come out of it. But if you look at Romans chapter 1, and then if you'll take your Bible, and if you want to put your finger into it, the crux of the message is going to be uh, through a testimony of those two characters I mentioned uh, from camp. But I want you to think of Romans and then the book of Timothy. Both of those books are written by the Apostle Paul, and that's who I'm prefacing our message uh, this message to the church this morning but I guess the question that I want to start with is as a Southern Baptist Church Liberty First Baptist Church are we a Baptist Church a typical Baptist Church in hometown USA and I guess the question that I want to preface this morning is are we a denomination in dire straits or are we a denomination at a crossroads I wish I could point to the second, but I think we can answer yes to both of those. We are a denomination that's in dire straits. And I'll share with you, as I was, had the privilege with Southeastern to travel to Houston this year in June to be part of the Southern Baptist Convention, and I am ashamed of where we are as a denomination. When the statistics have showed us for five years we've had a decline in baptism to the tune of 5%. From 2007 to 2011, those five years, we've had a decline in baptism of 5% less than before. The second category that I hope is breaking your heart, because I know it's breaking the heart of God, is in church membership. We've lost 5% in our church membership in the last five years of our Baptist churches across the United States of America. But I know this number that, that has to be breaking God's heart, and I hope it breaks Liberty, Liberty First Baptist's heart, is we've seen church growth of 1.8%. Growth in numbers of churches. What that means, let me share with you, in the state I live in, with Southeastern at Wake Forest, in the state of North Carolina, we planted over 300 churches last year. That's wonderful. Yet we closed over 425 churches. That's just in our state. 
So I think the part that, that we have to look at is at this location of where we are and where we're heading, the question I want you to ponder on and think about this morning, are we at a denomination of dire straits, which means desperate, or were we truly at a crossroads? I beg to believe that I think we're at a crossroads because I know it's God's church. He's head of the church. I think, though, when I look at almost 2% across this nation where we're planting new churches in strip malls and, and, and in different locations, it's not the brick and mortar that makes up the church. It's the people in the people's hearts that make up the church. I think in, in looking at that and in, in what I look at at Paul when he's talking to the first century church in Rome, keep in mind this was written about 35 years after the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and now where Jesus is the living Savior sitting at the right hand of God. Paul witnessed who Jesus was. But I think Paul in, in challenging that first century church of that uh, Judeo-Christian society that was in the church of Rome, how quickly in that first century church in 69 A.D. did they fall away from the roots and the foundation of the gospel. I know for me, I thought spending 10 years in the islands and then almost 15 years in that worldly choices that I chose in South Florida and California and Chicago, I just really thought that being out of church for almost 30 years, I could kind of plug back into what I learned at Crescent Hill Baptist Church in Pickens where my dad was the pastor and Six Mile Baptist Church where my dad was the pastor. But my goodness, from generation to generation, I think we have to look at the question, are we as a Baptist proud of who we are? Is our name different than the Baptist church that's in Kentucky that goes to funerals and puts up signs that hates gays and hates bigots? The question is, to the lost world, to the people that pass this church every day, we're associated and guilty by association because we have Baptists. But our teenagers at our camps, I can tell you, this generation is more spiritual than any other generation of teenagers ever in the history of mankind. I didn't say godly. I said spiritual. They want to know why things exist. They want to know why we as parents believe what we believe and why it makes an eternal difference. That's what this generation of students are looking for. And the other thing that ought to amaze you is this millennial generation is the largest body of people ever in mankind. There's 33 and a half million teenagers in this world today. That's the largest people group. So we are at a crossroads, but are we going to live with the reputation of being a denomination with declining numbers as we've seen the last five years? I think what we have to ask ourselves the question is, what are we ashamed of? I know for me coming back to the church after that hiatus of all those years, I'm ashamed of our communities. I'm ashamed of our communities that have gotten numb to what's going on in our communities all the way down to prayer in our council meetings. I'm ashamed of our communities that are allowing the world to coexist and we exist in the, in the world and we're just Baptists by membership. It's something that we come and do. And the question I want you to think on and marinate on is... Worship's not what we do, church. It's who we are. And who we are is where we go. 
just as he sang with the beautiful song, with the Revelation song. It's who we are and who we permeate in our daily existing lives. Do we look the same wherever God places us throughout the 168 hours of the work week? I think for me, not only being ashamed of our community, but I can tell you this, I truly am ashamed of our schools. I was commissioned in 2010 to be a missionary service corps, which is part of the North American Mission Board, and they said, Chris, we'll give you North Carolina, South Carolina if you want, but your primary, since you live in North Carolina, is North Carolina. Going through high school and middle schools, I was just at Myrtle Beach Christian Academy this past week, and it's amazing in the numbers of the questions of the surveys those teenagers took from fifth, there was middle school, was fifth grade to the twelfth grade. They failed on the biblical questions. Not much different in percentages, less than five percentage points at Myrtle Beach Christian Academy as the public schools. But here's a number that I know that is breaking the heart of God is Less than 4% in North Carolina in our public schools profess Christ as Savior. I don't know how many people are at uh, Liberty Middle School and Liberty High School, but do the math. Ask your students to do the math. They have four classes in North Carolina. I tell them they've got a 16 sphere of influence each day. Four times four is 16. The person that sits in front of them, behind them, and to the left and to the right. Has any of those students in this last school year ever asked them about their faith? Matter of fact, as Christians, we should be Christ followers and not Christians because Christian is a label. A Christ follower is who we are. And folks, if we're a Christ follower, our faith should be contagious. Where students are asking our children and teenagers from Liberty First and from the Christian churches, the Baptist churches in this Pickens County, why do you believe what you believe? Hey, I'm going through a trial. I'm going through a struggle. But it seems to be somewhere we've disconnected that it's this obviously best kept secret because we don't share our faith. I know Paul is telling the church in, in, in Rome, he's saying, what are you ashamed of? I think what we've got our balances, differences, what we should be ashamed of is our schools, our communities, and even our home. I know a casual we failed our biblical literacy test tremendously. And the students that come to Caswell is 7,229 students in 2011. This year we had 7,400 students, but my sister Mary did a biblical literacy survey. She's writing her dissertation on her doctrine of this generation of teenagers. The teenagers that come to Caswell are our definition of good Christian kids. You know what the definition of a good Christian kid is? He grew up in, or she grew up in a great Christian home, a good environment, and their parents are morally good people. But I know for me, the longer I study scripture in college and now seminary, good and goodness in our sake will never get us through the gates of heaven. It's not about our goodness. It's about his righteousness. And he exchanged his life so we could have eternal life. But are we ashamed? I know I'm ashamed of our schools because seventh grade girls in North Carolina are pregnant. And we as a church are numb. I know across North Carolina in school district after school district, they're voting yes to put nurseries in our high schools to keep unwed mothers from dropping out of high school. I know that's breaking the heart of God. How about yours? I know for... Paul addressing the first church. Look what he says in Romans 1 in verse 
14. He says, I'm obligated both to you Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is, why am I so eager to preach this gospel also to you who are at Rome? He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the gospel that is the power, the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For it is in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed. Just like as they sang the Revelation song. It's a righteousness from God that is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteousness will live by faith. Church, I think we've, in this generation with our teenagers, we have not been ashamed of our schools, of our communities, of where we live, but yet to our children, are we ashamed of the gospel? That question in that biblical survey that our students took two summers ago on Friday morning, they took 45 minutes to answer an 85-question survey. And church, let me tell you, we failed it miserably. If we took the 7,229 students and gave you an average on a score of 0 to 100 on a pass-fail, as an average was 35%. Don't have time, and won't take the time, but let me tell you two alarming stories with good church kids that grew up going to church because mom and dad brought them to church. Is Sodom and Gomorrah a married couple? True or false? Seven out of ten of our students said true. Is David the shepherd boy and David and Goliath later on to become King David? Is that the same David? Eight out of ten said false. It's those basic Bible stories that, church, I've got to tell you, two out of ten of our students tell us that this Word of God is being opened in their home. I don't ask for every day, but for five summers now, when I get middle school boys in a small group, I'll ask them the same question, and it's two out of ten. And I don't ask daily. I said, Sundays and Wednesday don't count because you're at church. But I want to ask you the other five days of the week, does mom and dad ever open the Word of God to you? Can you raise your hand if it's just twice a week, two nights a week, somewhere in your busy schedule, you have the Word of God being open? Two out of ten will raise their hand. Parents, the truth with that, the absolute truth of the gospel is our faith, if that's what we're falling in, and we're that eight out of ten that never cracked the Bible in our home, then our gospel is not contagious. You can't take your children further spiritually than you've gone. And your children will model their prayer life after our parents. Our parents are our heroes. But the greatest weight that we have at this Baptist denominational faith, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, who is the one and all creator, is it being lived out? Is there any way that our children can catch what we believe. I know we have the fear because we're not in seminary. We have the fear maybe that we can't teach. Let me tell you, where we are weak, His Holy Spirit will complete. I think one of the greatest answers that is the wrong answer is when you're raising up toddlers is that third or second, second or third time your little boy says, Daddy, why? And Daddy says, because I said so. I think we need to be saying, let's see what the Word of God says because that's the foundation we build our home. This has to be the centerpiece of our home, church. And prayer has to be the masterpiece 
of our home, church. Because if it's not, in 2033, you ride through Pickens County. You ride through Wake County in the Raleigh area where I live, and I dare to see a denomination that's going to exist. Because when you, beautiful saints, have gone on to glory, our largest population of empty pews is we don't have 21 to 40-year-olds in our church pews. And church, if we don't have 21 to 40-year-olds in our church pews, guess what? We don't have children in youth. If you do have them, what are we teaching them? Are we living out the gospel that everything should permeate what the gospel says? Look, though, how quickly the power of Satan and the power of evilness in this world can take us. And you tell me, this Romans 1 to me doesn't look like it was written in first century. It looks like it was written and could be in the Greenville News today because it says in Romans chapter 1 after... Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the gospel of our salvation. He says in verse 18, he warns the church. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of men who suppresses the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God, and you look in creation, it says it ought to be plain to all of us because in verse 20 he says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen and should be understood what has been made so that we as men are without excuse. But Verse 21, church, I think we have to look at as a Baptist denomination how many of our churches must be struggling to live out verse 21 to say that's not us. Because it says in the scripture, Paul told the first century church in Rome, for although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor they gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolishness, foolish hearts became very dark. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged this glory of an immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Church, I lived out those two verses in Verse 24 came to a reality in my life. It says, Therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. That's how the powerful, powerful power of Satan is. God is the creator and Jesus because of the fall did have to come out of heaven and be created in the virgin birth. And he did have to live a life, a sinless life, a perfect life. But it is the life, the death, and then the resurrection of Christ, and then the ascension 40 days later, that this is a living word to a living Savior. That when we say our prayers in Jesus' name, each of us in our homes, and wherever we pray, when we pray in Christ's name, we ought to see Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. And when we pray in Jesus' name, we see him lifting our prayers up to the Father, saying, my son Chris just prayed this prayer. That's how personal the gospel is. That's how passionate the gospel is. He's my Jesus. He's your Jesus. Everywhere in Scripture where you see in the Old and New Testament, our God, it always is followed with a pronoun of 
your God. He's your God. He's my God. But church, we're numb. And I speak to the universal church here of Baptist, of the Southern Baptist Convention. Because it says in verse 26, because of this, that God has turned us over to our sexual impurity and desires. God gave them over to the shameful lust that He can't allow. Even their women exchange natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men are also abandoning natural relations with women and are inflamed with lust for one another. Men are committing indecent acts with other men. Church, if we're not dividing the Word of God in our homes with our toddlers and not on such a subject as this, but by the time they get to middle school, if we're not talking to them about true love does wait, that God did design sex in the confines of a marriage for several reasons, but the beauty of that, that we've got to be learning in our homes because of the Internet, all these teenagers that are coming to Caswell are so confused. Because we're not standing up at the courthouses and in the public domain saying no to same-sex marriage. We are in a vote, but are we preaching it and teaching it in our homes? Genesis 2, 26 says, Man is to leave his father and mother and go choose a wife. That gives me goosebumps today because that tells me God does not condone Divorce. It tells me that there was one woman that God's original plan for me, there was one girl that God had my name tagged to it. And when I tell teenagers that, they're like, really? Yes, it's in Scripture, but if we don't divide the Word of God and permeate the truth of the Gospel, it seems to be just like a newspaper or coexisting of where our teenagers are. I will finish with this and then go to Timothy in verse 32, the last verse of Romans 1 where Paul said, Church, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Then he talks about where men are with men and women are with women. You don't even seem to be ashamed of this, but look where the church is. He says in verse 32, Although they knew God's righteousness, they knew His righteous decree, that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but we also approve of those who practice them. Church, that's a confusing theology for an eighth grade teenage girl. What we're telling them is, I'm okay, you're okay. And church, there's five hours in the week if you're a Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night Christian. You're here five hours out of 168 hours. But if you do the math, 163 divided into 168 hours, which is all we all have, no matter how busy we are, 97% of our time, if we're never opening the Word of God outside of church, 97% of the time, our teenagers and even us are falling into worldly wisdom. And the wisdom that's taking and attacking this world is the Internet. I know in the condition of the church is the condition of our homes. Our, our homes are supported by the foundation and roots of Liberty First Baptist. But Liberty First Baptist is as strong as its individual members. Because wherever you go in this community, you're Liberty First to that person. You're Liberty First where you've chosen to be a Christ follower. You're Liberty First as far as being a member 
of a Baptist church. But the first question that we talked about, have we gotten confused of what we're ashamed of or maybe what we're not ashamed of? But I think if you'll turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 4, amazing that the last letter that Paul wrote, Paul wrote this letter in a dungeon of a cell, in a prison cell that he knew he was on his last breath. He knew he was not even going to come uh, make it through winter. Matter of fact, he told Timothy, he said, Timothy, please come before winter and do it all possible to come before winter. But notice in 1 Timothy chapter 3, or excuse me, 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3, he's saying there's godless days in the last days, and he's telling Timothy, he said, Timothy, I know I'm going to meet my maker. I'm at peace with that. But what Paul is telling Timothy, he says, have I done my job to disciple you? Have I done my job to give you scripture? Have I done my job in the life that I live that permeates and points to the gospel of Jesus Christ? But adults, I think we have to look at chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, the first three verses, and see if this is in our homes, where it says people will become lovers of themselves lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive. And then children, it says, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And I know this verse here in verse 4 and 5 ought to break our hearts because it's what we're seeing in those of us who are claiming to be Christian. We're claiming to have this form of godliness, but obviously we're denying its power because we're having nothing to do with them. Denying its power. This form of godliness. I can only preach and teach this out of personal testimony, but I never understood God in three persons. It amazes me, and I hope none of us as Christ followers ever get over what Christ suffered on that cross. But when Jesus told the disciples in chapter 14 of the book of John, and then 15 and 16, those three verses where he says, man, it's Holy Week. I'm heading to that cross. I've got to die so you can have eternal life. But if you knew, disciples, where I, were go where I was going, you would want me to go. Because he says, if I don't go to the Father, he can't send you the Holy Spirit. You know, when teenagers at Caswell and even at our camp in South Carolina, this generation of teenagers, I think, because they haven't seen the Holy Spirit lived out is what Paul's talking about. This form of godliness that we've turned church into an event rather than worship of who we are. A girl by the name of Julie came up to me this summer and she said, Chris, you probably don't remember me. It's been five years. But she says, you've got to come over to the cabin tonight after church group devotion. I've got to share my testimony with me because she said, I was so angry with you in 2007. I said, well, boy, this is interesting to me. What time may I come over? I sat down with Julie and we never counsel even the same sex today without a witness. We always go with a third party. I took one of our staff with us. Julie said, Chris, she said, I was so mad at you because what you taught in your call to ministry class 
was that I had to surrender everything. And she says, you teach that every Thursday at camp. And I was one of those girls that was graduating that year. I was between the summer of high school graduation and going off to college. And I knew God was calling me, but I had no clue what. She said, all of a sudden, my youth pastor calls me in October, two months after camp, and said, hey, Mr. Chris is coming to do a True Love, True Love Does Wait conference. It's a purity conference on purity in all things, but definitely dealing with the struggles of sexual purity. That youth pastor said, Julie, I need you to come because you're a college student now, and our high school girls look up to you. And she said, Tim, I'm not qualified. He said, just share your story. She said, Chris, I got so mad because I fell under conviction because the scripture that summer was rooted and the theme was 2 Peter 3.15, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. But boy, if he becomes the Lord of your heart, you better be ready to give a defense because someone's going to come up to you and say, what's this joy that you have? I love how Peter closes that. He says, that's when you share Jesus with gentleness and respect. My friends, that's a faith that's contagious. I love that because I don't have to go knock on every door. I don't have to be a Bible thumper as a pastor. It says, if I'll leave, live my life out and Christ is my Lord, you better be prepared because somebody will come up. She said, Chris, that verse just haunted me. And she said, then Tim, my youth pastor calls me. And lo and behold, I said, yeah, I know Chris isn't married, so he can't teach the female part, but I know I'm not qualified, but God, I'm going. So she came home that weekend. She was at Appalachian State. She lived in Morganton, which was about an hour away. She said, Chris, she said on Saturday night when we started talking, because we break up by gender and you and Tim took the guys and me and another female took the girls. She said, Chris, I, I was so under conviction because I had just started Appalachian State. First semester of college, I'm already drinking, never drank before. I'm already with a guy in a fraternity and even though we hadn't given each self to each other, and sexual immorality she said we were close we were so close she said now I'm sitting around these girls and they're looking up to me well lo and behold you give us that 60-day challenge of having a prayer accountability partner in the church that at the end of 60 days if we commit to this as a youth group of this Baptist church she says we'll come back on Sunday night and have a celebration service with a purity ring She said, Chris, for those 60 days, those teenage girls wore me out with text messages, phone calls, emails, challenging me when she says, I couldn't pour into them because she says, we pour out what's being poured in. And church, if this isn't being poured in, we're pouring out earthly wisdom, worldly wisdom. But she says, I fell under conviction. And she said, Chris, she said, that second month of that 60-day commitment, she said, I knew that I had to get my heart right with God. She said, Chris, she said, if you should have, could have heard my dad weeping on the phone Sunday night after 60 days, you always say, come back and do a celebration service where the whole church, the unity in the body of the church can sit or, or sit in the congregation and watch each teenage boy and teenage girl stand before the church and before God and the Father puts on the purity ring. She said, my dad called me and says, honey, you got to come home Friday night. Get your best dress out, says, because on Saturday night I'm taking you to dinner. We're going to have a father-daughter day. He put that ring and he made so many commitments as her earthly father to recommit of the things that he had failed biblically of the role of a Christian father.
she told, he told her, he said, Julie, I've got to give you the ring back. I mean, I've got to take the ring back, but you get it back tomorrow night, but we've got to have it blessed in front of the whole church in the church ceremony. So she gave it back. She said, if you could have seen my father and mother weeping as scripture, the senior pastor and the youth pastor led both the parents of their biblical role model and then my commitment to the Lord and then my commitment as their daughter. She said, Chris, I wanted to tell you, she says, look, do you love my ring? She said, Chris, two weeks ago, I just got back from my honeymoon. She said it was the sweetest, most joyful experience that the Bible and Songs of Solomon, the marriage covenant, the wedding bed. She said it was unbelievable. But she said, let me just tell you about the ceremony. She said, my father's walking me down the aisle and this is the most important day of my life and I don't care that my makeup's running because she said, my earthly father's getting ready to give me away. And she said, when he got ready to give me away, she said, all I could do is look at my finger and look at that purity ring. And she said, Dad, she said, Daddy, we made it. I don't need this anymore. She said, you keep it as a keepsake, whether you want to wear it around a necklace or whatever, but Daddy, we made it. And I got to tell you, Daddy, I made it because I had an earthly father that even after I graduated high school stood in the gap and bridged purity. She said, what a celebration. And then I take my husband's hand. And not only and I, am I pure as a virgin, I'm marrying a virgin. But she said, the sweetest thing, if you could have heard my daddy Tim, tell me what I never knew was the month before you came and did the True Love Waits conference. My mother and dad had both met with attorneys and were heading to divorce. But because of my recommitment to God and where I'm walking, my mother and father recommitted and even redid their wedding vows. My friends, true love does wait. But church, if we don't get our first love right, where God told, where John wrote in the book of Revelation to the church of Laodicea, he said, come back to your first love. Our first love should never be with another human being. It should never be with that one girl that was destined to be my wife. But God in Jeremiah 29, 11 says, If you don't seek me and seek me earnestly, I will turn you over to your captivity. I don't want your pity. I don't have a wedding ring. I'm going to be 52 next Tuesday. But I share that with teenagers to tell them the price of not waiting until marriage. That true love does wait. But in this world and in this society, if the word of God is not being opened in our homes, their first love, is a girl or a guy. For you that have little ones as I close, I wish our biblical model in our churches was every fourth Wednesday night we taught our parents and got them up to speed of everything we taught their sons or daughters that month. Because you see how we get the same biblical foundation on the same page because we're working through the book of James. Mom and Dad, this is what we've taught your son and daughter the last three weeks. In other words, we're doing family ministry together. But I know what a difference 
when your children become teenagers. I have such a pushback early on, but I have to do with 80 True Love Waits conferences these last five winters. I don't have a pushback anymore because God spread that door wide open that I'm now able to teach True Love Waits to a sixth grade boy and a sixth grade girl. Because churches are finally, and parents are finally realizing, don't leave it up to the world or let my son or daughter be influenced by the world because they're taking their wisdom and their knowledge everywhere else except the Word of God, but mom and dad aren't opening the Word of God. I know for me, I don't think ever being a grandparent is in the cards, and I don't know that for me at my age if I'll ever be a dad. But I know God's breaking my heart to be a foster dad to troubled teenage boys. And I can promise you this, whether they're a virgin or not, what I will sit down and teach them is what the Word of God says about the marriage bed. But if I have the joy and the benefit and the beauty of having a spouse, you can bet we're going to have a family Bible study because, parents, we got to cross-train our teenagers let our moms tell the sons what they expect in a godly man. Give that woman perspective, that mother perspective, but the woman perspective. But we seem to say, Daddy, you take the boys and I'll take the girls. And you tell me in my generation, where did it ever get labeled of the birds and the bees? That didn't teach me anything. But the Word of God will teach us everything. As Paul passed the baton to Timothy, let me close with this text. Let me close with this text that you can see the foundation, the biblical foundation, that Paul was a disciple, yet Timothy had a dad. The amazing part, though, the only thing we know of Timothy's father was that he was a Greek. Paul was a Jew. But Paul knew of Timothy's faith early on in that first missionary journey. But look where in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, the next to last chapter that we've got record of Paul's life, we don't know of his death, but he told Timothy, he says, But as for you, young man, continue in what you have learned and have though, and, and been convinced of, because you knew those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Where do we find that? If you'll turn back to verse 3 of the first chapter, just two, two chapters back. Who's Paul talking about? To who and what and where did you learn this Scripture? Listen to what he tells him. He says... I thank God, Paul says to Timothy, who I serve. I thank God who I serve because of my forefathers. They serve with a clear conscience night and day. But he says, for you, I constantly remember you in my prayers because I recall your tears. I long to see you, Timothy, so that I may be filled with joy knowing that his salvation is true. Because look what he says in 5. He says, I have been reminded of how sincere your faith is because you first learned and lived it with your grandmother Lois and then your mother Eunice and I'm persuaded now lives in you also three generations of biblical foundation of scripture was from a grandmother Lois and a mother Eunice 
to the WMU director as I close and to this church, I thank God for you women of the Baptist faith. You know why I thank God for you? I, I think there would be a lot more than 400 churches closing in North Carolina last year if it weren't been for you women and grandmothers. I know my sister who doesn't have a husband that left her two boys when they were five and two and they got picked on saying that they didn't have a daddy. How could they be spiritual? How could they be godly? And Mary taught my little nephew Murphy. When someone picks on him because he doesn't have a daddy at home, Murphy stood up to them and he said, my home's not broken because Jesus is the head of our house. Church, we don't have an excuse. And if Eunice and Lois can make a difference in young Timothy's life, it also took a godly spiritual man by the name of Paul. But that's the role of men like me and you. If God never gives me the benefit of a wife, it tells me I've got much more responsibility because i got more time to be busy on the road with him. Amen? Fifteen years. These little ones. Six to ten years. It's all you got. You know why? If we haven't got our children rooted and grounded in Scripture by the time they become 15, they get a permit, he gets a bow and she gets a boo, or vice versa. They get a part-time job, we lose them. Fifteen years. Don't ever forget. You can't ever take these children further than you've been spiritually. And they're going to model their prayer life. How you pray. Will you pray with me? Father God, we are a denomination at a crossroads. Lord, to a Fortune 500 company, they would say we're a denomination in dire straits that we should fold. But Lord, there's a power greater than ourselves, and his name is King Jesus. And he's a living Savior because he sits at the right hand of you, Heavenly Father. But the fact that you loved us so much that not only you sent your son Jesus to die for us. Every crook and cranny of choices we make this week, if we're a believer in Christ, you love us that much that you can't leave us or forsake us because you are sealed within us. Lord, break, break our hearts with that, knowing that within an arm's length this week, we're going to meet someone whether it's at the gas station, at Walmart, or the dentist office that's getting ready to bust hell wide open, and we're not brokenhearted over that, that we're not sharing our faith, but, Lord, it should be in conviction and contagious faith that they catch what we have because we have this joy that we can't even understand because it's the power of your gospel the power of God in three persons and that you loved us so much that we get all three. All of you, all of your Son, and all of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that's a convicting message. Break our heart for what breaks yours. And as we cross this crossroads, Lord, may 2014 have a spiritual incline because we're choosing to get busy for you whether it be in prayer or financial or all of the aboves of spiritual gifts, 
Ephesians 4.12, Lord, we pastors aren't head of the church. It's you, King Jesus, that are the head. But we all have to come together in unity in the body of your church, your bride. And then convict our hearts of how we convict others by what we do, not what we say. Because, Lord... I'm a living testimony that our actions will always speak louder than any words I could ever say or preach. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing, He is Lord. That's what I pray that we carry home with us. He is indeed Lord. But he only has the control of your life and mine as we let him. Because he's never forced himself on us. He says, come unto me, all you who labor. I'll give you rest. Whosoever shall call upon him shall be saved. But you see, we have to take the step. And his spirit is there to take us by the hand and lead us on to that promised land. Thank you, Chris. God bless you. Stay faithful. This evening, we're going to be talking about gardening or farming. So I hope you'll come at 6 o'clock and share with us. We'll learn how to, in spite of the weather conditions, make some wonderful, delicious tomatoes. So you can have a wonderful, delicious tomato sandwich. Joe is at home. I'm sure most of you know that by now. So keep praying for him and uh, pray for Claire and just all others who are on our list. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for letting us be here today.
Thank you for Chris. Father, when we hear how you have led him due to his willingness to be followed, you have brought great blessing and joy in his life that he then can share it with others. God, I pray that that will happen to each of us as we go now, that you'll just through the afternoon speak to our hearts and challenge us to be the people of God that our teenagers, our children, even our little babies will know we've been with Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.